Thank the gentleman. I'm now we're going to go to questions from the diaspora. We're going to start with the gentleman from Georgia, Mr. Collins, for his five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, Ms. Axelrod, the, uh, the Biden administration hasn't conducted public notice and comment periods under the Administrative Produ uh, Procedure Act before taking many actions uh, that have opened the southern border and damaged our environment. Why does a rancher who wants to graze 100 cattle on public land need to go through some sort of NEPA process, but the administration can decide to let millions of people cross through our public lands on the border without any NEPA process at all? Thank you. That's a very good question. I mean, <laughs> the answer is really that nobody's made them. So when NEPA was first passed in 1970, it, it contemplated thinking about the environmental impacts of, of people coming into the country, you know, the population growing, and uh, you know, very early on, people, you know, a lot of cases said, yeah, population growth or what we have to we have to think about. Obviously, immigration is part of this, but no one sued. So, you know, when when NEPA first started being enforced was because people started suing and a lot of environmental groups sued over atomic energy and the, the initial uh, response from an agency is like, well, you know, we don't, we don't really need to do it. And the court said, no, you need to do it. If, if there's a big environmental impact, you need to do something. But what happened was INS said, said, which is the original DH, it was before Homeland Security, Department of Homeland Security was INS. So INS promulgated NEPA procedures, which every agency has to do, uh, is mandated by law. And INS said, you know, I think all of our, of our, our NEPA process is, is if we build a detention center, because then we're building a building. And, and so we have to think about the environmental effects of the building. Well, NEPA doesn't say you do NEPA if you build a building or you lease a building. It says you do NEPA if you affect the environment. And, you know, in, in 2003, the, the Homeland, Department of Homeland Security replaced INS and it later developed NEPA procedures. And its NEPA procedures don't say anything about immigration at all. They just, they don't even think about it, even though it's a large part of their mandate and it's one of the most environmentally impactful mandates. So basically, they just don't do it, and they should. What did the administration say in response to the comment that it needed to do NEPA analysis, and the few times it did conduct one for immigration policies, um, maybe such as the new rule on asylum? Yeah, so, you know, they used to just ignore it altogether when people started to comment. They started to actually reply in the administrative process, and what they would do was they would cite a categorical exclusion, which is, you know, in the NEPA process where you say this category of actions doesn't need NEPA. So they would say, well, we don't really think you need to do NEPA on immigration because it's impossible to predict the effects of it. It would require a lot of speculation. Yeah. Well, okay, that's what NEPA's for. Yeah. NEPA is for doing the analysis when you don't know what the analysis, what the effects are going to be. Right. Of course, it's extremely predictable in this case. With these, if you open the border, it's extremely predictable that you'll have environmental effects. I don't think anyone can really hear, listen to what we hear today and in our last hearing and say, there's no environmental effects to this. This is nothing. But they say, but, but you know, but we don't know. We're, we're not really sure. Yeah, no, I think you can <laughs> even see that. So uh, any, everybody can see the, uh, the environmental effects. 
Um, thank you. Uh, Lieutenant Norris, you mentioned uh, the cartels and black market cannabis production. They're shifting significantly from public land operations to rural private lands uh, on the West Coast. Uh, why the recent shift? Yes, thank you, Congressman. Um, the shifts largely come from our regulation structure in California under Proposition 64. Um, that's that regulation structure for regulated cannabis for recreational use has been in place since 2016, and we're on our seventh or eighth year of it. And because under Prop 64, we lowered the penalty for outdoor trespass growing or even private land growing illegally by these cartels, we lowered it from a felony to a misdemeanor. And for a juvenile offender, an infraction, which basically put very little deterrent bite in growing illegal cannabis anywhere on our private or public lands. So now the cartels are basically going to private lands where they don't have to go as far into the woods, if you will, in the backcountry, and just putting thousands and thousands of grows, like in Siskiyou County that we referenced that Congressman Lamoth also mentioned in, in his question previously. And at this point now, we have a lot of enforcement action out that my previous agency is working hard through their cannabis enforcement program to stop, as well as other agencies. But it's a matter of numbers and plain whack-a-mole. We're just outnumbered and really out-resourced from the standpoint of these private land grows because of an incentivized black market through the new law. Right. Okay. Uh, I know I'm over. I thank the gentleman. Thank the gentleman you. from Arizona, Mr. Rahalva, the ranking member of full, full, for the full committee, is recognized for five minutes. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Ms. Axelrod, and, 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 and I, do, I agree with you on the sanctity of NEPA. I really do. I think that's uh, fundamental to many things, to transparency and to the public. And, and the fact that Biden waived in this latest uh, fence uh, wall construction, waived 18 laws, including NEPA, uh, I oppose that. And I, and, and I feel that a process with NEPA would have been appropriate and necessary regarding the airfield because that's the sanctity of that law. Um, do you specify it just to the issue of population and immigration, or is NEPA the broader concept that, I'm talking about right now. Uh, NEPA is, is not just population growth. NEPA applies to any action that is likely to have a major environmental impact. And so the fentanyl coming across the border, that, I mean, so when it comes to the border, the people coming across the border have immediate physical impacts. So we, you would, but also they have impacts when they get... So we shouldn't wave or... Uh, affect NEPA uh, with regard to that that important legal process and public process when it comes to the siting of a mine, the permitting of well, particular drilling and extraction, the building of a wall. Well, I'm a lawyer, and so I'm talking about what's legal and what's not legal. So in the law, we, we've been given, the administrations, all administrations have been given the right to waive NEPA if they build a wall because of the immediacy of the problems, including environmental problems, of the southern border being open. So, you know, the illegal immigration and, you know, well, and nationality me, act said, yes, Ms. you Axelrod, can the, the, waive the, it. But it would apply if not waived, of course. I got five minutes, and I, and I apologize if I'm being curt, but uh, Ms. Axelrod, the, 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 you're with the Center for Immigration Studies. You're aware, uh, you're aware that they are labeled by the Southern Policy Law Center as a hate group? A lot of places are labeled as a hate group by the Southern Policy Law Center because it seems to be that it labels 
places that disagree with them politically as hate groups. Well, that's that's uh, their opinion. I mean, they've been okay. sued over it, okay, well, but and I, they've lost actually in court being being you know for some of the people they've, no, they've well, named the, hate groups. The label groups, was but, because of repeated circulation of white nationalists and anti-Semitic writers in its weekly newsletter and the commission of a policy analyst who had previously been pushed out of the Conservative Heritage Foundation for the embrace of racist pseudoscience. These developments, its historical association, and the record of publishing reports that hyped the criminality of migrants were one of the reasons they were labeled. I'm sure you're aware of that. You know, I... I'm aware that a lot of people who can't deal with the fact that it's very clear that there are environmental impacts of immigration, instead of dealing with that, say, and dealing with the fact that the Biden administration has been breaking the law, instead of dealing with that, want to call names. I am aware of that. I'm not a lawyer, but I, but I, but I think uh, consistency would be important for the for uh, your presentations before Congress. I Mr. think consistency Chairman, would be important Chairman, for people who want who say Mr. that they Chairman, care about the environment but don't want to do NEPA. Mr. Chairman, thank you very much for being here again. I, the the Autumn Nation and its relationship to the two sites that you mentioned and the cultural resources and uh, the protection of, of, of those sites going forward as, as a sovereign nation how do you how do you best describe how would you best recommend to Congress about that relation of consultation about that relation of the trust responsibility and where the nation fits in and any discussion given a wall uh, so that we don't have the same situation unfortunately that cannot be remedied that happened on on, on tribe on tribal land and adjacent to tribal land on federal land. Committee Chair and Honorable Committee Members, uh, Ranking Member Gohalwa, thank you for the question. Where I see going forward in, in, in this whole issue here in, in, in border, the border wall and the immigration, there needs to be true, true consultation so that we can avoid and we can address some of the issues that not only I and other members that have come before you have talked about, because I believe that that is what is absent, true consultation to address some of these issues. You've been hearing about NEPA, so it, it applies here, but it doesn't apply there, it applies here, but it doesn't apply here. Well, we need to look at that collectively, and the Thonaut of Nation requests a seat at the table. So to your question, how do I see it going forward that the nation be included at the table, as stated in the testimony, that we have a vested interest in this as well, and to protect the land, to protect the people, to infect, protect the environment, to protect the homeland. And so if we do that, I believe, the nation believes, that we can address the issues that become confrontations. And avoid. Thank you. Thank you very much. You'll back things, Chairman. I thank the gentleman. Just to uh, just an ad, kind of advice, we need to treat our panelists with respect. I know that we've got a little terse there, so I would like to make sure that that is. Well, if, if, if I in any way insulted, I'll just try to get my time back so that I could ask the chairman a question. Okay. Well, Ms. Axelrod, I don't think I was. Rude. I'm going to give you the permission to talk to me about the Southern Poverty Law Center. I'm like you. I disagree with them. 
and they hold it against us for our policy, our beliefs, instead of what we actually truly are. Now, I've been labeled every name in the book. I am not one of those anti-Semites. I am not one of any of those. So from that standpoint, it's very prejudicial, and I think they're a very prejudicial I mean, group. I'm Jewish, so I'm, I'm really not an anti-Semite. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very, very much. So would you like to say anything in short fashion in regards to the Southern Poverty Law Center? I mean, again, I think when people don't want to deal with the fact that you have a valid point about immigration, they call you names instead. And, you know, I, I mean, I think it's really unfortunate that instead of actually talking about the environmental effects of immigration on our country and and the effects of the border uh and instead of doing nepa we we call we call people names who don't who want to bring up important issues i agree with you i absolutely agree with you. lieutenant norris in talking with in, in talking with you and seeing some of the, your pictures and stuff like that can you elaborate on the environmental consequences of illegal immigration from the marijuana operations on the public lands? Yes, happy to, Chairman. The environmental impacts are they're exponential. Uh, obviously, when we have these illegal growers in the in the forest to set up, say, a public land grow, trees are going to be removed, grasses, habitat. Creeks are going to be impacted by putting water diversions in and blocking water that feeds not only wildlife but leads to city water supplies at the bottom of canyons. Um, also, when we talked about the EPA banned poisons that I mentioned in my intro, um, these are so toxic that a couple tablespoons of carbofuran poured into a creek, a small creek, could destroy that creek for miles. No exaggeration. And kill every living aquatic within it for that, that, that span of distance. So what's the aftermath of that? Animals are going to die. There's potential water pollution sources for small towns and even large cities. On the private land front, even though we're not in the remote wilderness anymore in those pristine areas, we're still in a rural tract where we have creeks. We also have the underground water supply, the water table, being impacted underground. A lot of these illegal growers now throughout Northern California are bringing in illegal well drilling operators, uh, equipment, and they're going underground and taking millions and millions of gallons of water for, say, 10,000 grows is an approximation in Siskiyou County, and deleting, depleting the water supply so severely that ranchers that have lived in Siskiyou County for 100 years, farmers, and community members in a small rural, quote-unquote, American town that was safe are losing their water and having to leave town and move out of the area because of this, this infiltration. So it's an exponential compilation of environmental crimes that just continue besides just dead animals inside a grow site. And over the last three years, have you seen an increase in that degradation and the, the wantonness? I mean, you know, we have cashless bail, we have all sorts of different things, and particularly with the uh, cartels, they're becoming very, very emboldened. Do you see a difference in the application towards public lands and to the uh, environment? We see a slight a, a decrease in public lands from what I'm told by the agencies I've wor I worked for previously uh, over the last couple of years, but they still are on public lands. Obviously, national forests, national parks, as our Forest Service and National Park representatives testified to earlier. But the influx on private land with as much, if not more, environmental damage is definitely increasing exponentially. And not only in California, the, the Asian uh, TCO cartel groups that I mentioned are in Maine, they're in Oklahoma, they're in Oregon, as well as, as well as California, and possibly some other states. 
Um, the type of chemicals we're seeing right now that are coming in that are not from the Mexican cartels coming across our border, the carbofuran, but these new Chinese chemicals with labels on them coming back, going back to that country in these growth sites throughout all of California, not just Northern California and other states where they are run by Chinese organized crime groups primarily um, and not necessarily the Sinaloa cartel like historically in Mexico. So now we've got two different cartels working environmental crimes throughout the nation because they can get here and they can operate with impunity the way our, our current structures are from cannabis regulation and also what's happening on the border and the ease of entry. They're, it's almost like they're in sync, right? I'm sorry, Congressman? They're like they're in sync. They're coordinating. Uh, they very much are. And you brought up a good point with that, that coordination. Uh, my DEA colleagues have just exposed the fact that the Sinaloa cartel and the Asian trans, transnational criminal organizations are now working together uh, in certain crimes. China is providing all the precursor chemicals for fentanyl production and methamphetamine that the cartels out of Mexico primarily run. And now we're seeing the private land, especially illegal growth sites going on in private land with these new chemicals being run predominantly, predominantly by the Chinese and Asian cartels. Gotcha. And a switch. You just got a few seconds, Chairman uh, Jose. Uh, tell me, you know, you have in infrastructure aspects of a road close to the border, right? Am I right? How does that infrastructure differ than, than a fence? And how kind of, what kind of degradation do we get from car traffic on those? Can you give me an idea of what the difference is? Uh, I'm sorry, are you, you're talking I'm about... I'm talking to Chairman Jose. Oh. The, the roads on the... Thank you for the question, uh, Chairman. Thank you for the question. The roads on the border, the Autumn Nation has an agreement with... Uh, Department of Homeland Security to maintain that road on the border. Um, and it's fairly maintained. The other roads on the Tonawatam Nation that are traveled by the Border Patrol and others are not maintained. And so the areas that are being patrolled are not on the border. They're off the border. Uh, I drive the border, I was just on the border Sunday, you know. And, and, and so... The, there's not a human wall on the Tonawatam Nation. There's a vehicle barrier. All the entrance, and there's migrants coming up, there's illegal activity coming up, but the majority, the majority of that stuff is coming through the ports of entry or the places where there is a wall, not on the Tonawatam Nation. Is there some coming across the Tonawatam Yes. The road is somewhat maintained along the border, but the border patrol is not patrolling the border. Well, so, so you say that the fentanyl and these chemicals are coming through the ports of entry, but we don't know what we don't know. I mean, we've got 155 this year alone, uh, uh, terrorists on the terrorist watch list. We've got 155, and those are the ports of entry. We know all these gotaways. Do you think most of these people on the terrorist watch list want to be caught? They're not. So that's why we extrapolate. And, and even what we found even in the ports of entry for this fentanyl can kill the population of Arizona time and time again, all of us. So I just want to make sure that, that, that everything is in proper perspective. My time is up. I'm now I, uh, acknowledge the chairman for the full committee, Mr. Westerman, for his five minutes. Thank you, Chairman Gosar. And again, thank you to the witnesses. Um, Lieutenant Norris, I'm fascinated by the work that you've done. I've been to 
tribal land, I've heard talk about these uh, growth sites. I've heard, read about it in other places. I'm quite surprised that it's more not more publicly known that the, the press hasn't done more to get the word out on this. And it, even it would make an interesting documentary, I think, to see how these cartels are operating on U.S. soil. I've uh, flown in helicopters over the border and off miles off the border. I've seen the the sites where cartels are operating and the, the smuggling operations, and it's it's really eye opening to me, even knowing what's happening, that uh, these cartels are operating uh, like this on our side of the border. How do you respond to Americans who are not living near unregulated private or public land grow operations and do not see the direct cartel threats, and why should this be a priority issue? Thank you, Congressman, especially for your interest in it, and I agree. We aptly named the, the, the new book Hidden War because so many people don't know the depth throughout America of what these cartels are doing. And what we've seen at this point is not everybody is a cannabis user in America. Not everybody lives next to an illegal grow site, even a rural private land grow site, or maybe deep into the national forest. But what we need to remember is this cannabis that's coming from these transnational criminal organizations, these cartels, has these EPA-banned poisons on it, and they're not washing that stuff off. They're not worried about health and human safety. So these criminal groups, that marijuana is going out to the masses on a black market in almost every state in the union. Even though they're not, you know, those people may not live next to that growth site, they could possibly be affected by consuming an inorganic, unregulated cannabis product. The other thing we need to remember is with the human trafficking, the fentanyl crisis and methamphetamine, like we've talked about throughout the day with various witnesses, um, that affects everybody. That's in all 50 states. And while illegal cannabis may not be grown in all 50 states by the cartels, that other stuff is happening. So this is a domestic problem that I think we need to handle as a complete priority and look at the cartels as polycriminals as they're defined and not just cannabis or human trafficking or fentanyl or gun running, but really the biggest domestic threat I believe we have in America that needs to be handled like anything we would consider a national security issue. Harming our people. I appreciate your your work on that. <clears throat> I'm going to ask one other just quick question about it before I move on. But from what I understand, some of these chemicals, uh, pesticides, and or insecticides, herbicides, the things that they're using, if the farmers back in my district wanted to get them to grow a legal crop, uh, they would have no access to it, nor should they have access to it. That's the kind of chemicals that we're talking about. We indeed are, Congressman. These are chemicals that were made in the 40s and 50s. Um, there's nerve agents in them. There's anticoagulants. They're very effective at keeping rodents, insects, pretty much anything off of a marijuana plant that a cartel crime group would not want to have their plant infringed for the profit loss. What we need to remember, though, is when EPA got their technology up to study these chemicals that were legal in America at one time, they realized that when properly used, they were still too toxic for human use and consumption on our fruit crops, on our agricultural products. And keep in mind, one bottle or one 12-ounce crystalline powder container of carbofuran was made to be diluted into five to 6,000 gallons of water before it was put on our American agricultural crops, and EPA determined that that was too toxic. The growers we see using this stuff literally have backpack sprayers of five gallons, and they pour bottles of this stuff into that backpack sprayer and put it on the cannabis, they put it in the groundwater below, they put some of it in tuna cans and other little traps to capture, to have animals suck in and poison them so they don't, you know, infringe upon their cash crop. 
and these new uh, Chinese chemicals are, are mind-blowing. We're just finding out in the last couple of months that they're not just spraying them and diluting them with a the liquid. They're actually pouring them into like paint cans, mixing them up and burning them in smudge pots. And these smudge pots give off a smoke aroma inside an enclosed grow house like a hoop house, which is obviously much more contained than being in the outdoor pristine woods of, say, a grow in a national forest. And this stuff is just nasty. We're seeing Tyvek suits that the growers are using with the fitted masks and full rebreather, uh, you know, ventilated filters similar to or actually a hazmat suit. Okay, I can see you're, you're passionate about that. I hope you will keep telling your story, and I hope we can help tell that story uh, from this committee and, and here in Congress. And I'm, I'm almost out of time. I, I had more questions, but Chairman Hosey, I've just got to ask you, if I have problems with ranking member Grijalva, can you help me out with that? <laughs> <laughs> that was a yes. I yield back. Thank you. <laughs> I think the chairman. You know, you came a long way. So one of my questions, but I have one last question. What was the question you wanted to have asked, and what's the answer that wasn't asked? Start with you, Ms. Axelrod. Uh, well, I, I guess I wanted to have people ask me uh, why – you know what what could be done to force uh to force uh the administration to start following NEPA instead of ignoring it so much and you know I think one thing that could be done is is it could be clarified that that Americans really are harmed by immigration in terms of standing and that they're harmed by the illegal immigration and that uh, the 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 DHS's uh, implement uh, their procedures really are inadequate uh, because they they have NEPA procedures that just don't describe immigration whatsoever at all and and they just say well those aren't really our procedures they're not binding they just they just escape by saying well you know you can't prove that. You can't prove that any one thing we did uh, caused this problem because we did so many things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we I mean, you can't prove it was this or that, and you can't sue on all of them together. So, Thank you, Mrs. Yeah. Axelrod. Chairman Jose, what was the question you wanted answer, asked, and it wasn't, and what's the answer? Honorable Chairman, uh, distinguished members of the committee, the question I was hoping to get was, Chairman Jose, what would you do to address the border issues? And my response would be, if I could have a magic wand, we could have a magic wand and I could wave it across the United States and have the United States kick its drug habit. That would be, that would be partially to satisfy some of the border issues. Mm. The second thing I would do with that magic wand, I wave that magic wand across and create true immigration reform. I think if we address those two things, which are attainable, which are doable, we can address the majority of the border issues. Thank Thank you for the question. Thank you, Chairman. Lieutenant. What was, your, what was the question you wanted to ask that wasn't asked, and what's the, what's the answer? I guess the question really is, for me, uh, it's, it's first of uh, 
a statement of appreciation for taking the time to address this issue, for bringing it to the light, taking the hidden war and exposing it into the light that we're facing throughout America. And I would just ask each and every one of you to take what we've uh, discussed today, and I know everybody is, and make it a national priority. Let's educate and make this not a hidden war. Let's make this common knowledge to the American public. Let's look at it as a national security issue. Let's look at drug abuse and, and uh, basically the demand for some of these drugs and some of the uh, and some of the commodities that the cartels are making, not millions, but billions of dollars off of us Americans, while using our country basically as a stomping ground to run their criminal enterprises at the demise of, our, of the American public. And I just thank everybody listening today that we can do something with that moving forward and hope we can. Thank you. I thank the witnesses for their testimony. Um, and uh, the, for the valid and members for their questions. The members of the committee may still have some additional questions for the witnesses. And we ask that you respond to these in writing. Under committee rule three, members of the committee must submit questions to the subcommittee clerk by 5 p.m. on October 23rd. The hearing record will be held open for 10 business days for their responses. If there's no further... I have a question. Go ahead. For my, for, for my two uh, colleagues. Good. Are we going to vote again on the floor or should we make other plans, Westerman? We'll vote, we'll vote on the floor sometime. I don't know. I haven't got any... Maybe today, maybe tomorrow? Definitely probably tomorrow, but tomorrow. maybe tonight. Say tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, we should all take a deep breath. Yeah. Yeah. Relax. With, with Relax. that in mind, this meeting is adjourned.